It's a good day. It's a good day to be with you all. Um, We're currently in a sermon series on mental health. I didn't forget. Uh, Each week uh, in this series, we've had a chance to hear some personal stories and perspectives from people in our community. Uh, Specifically, we've asked a few people to record their responses and their thoughts on, you know, why we should care about mental health as a church. And I even gave some prompts. One of the ones that seemed to connect with almost everyone was uh, this prompt of, uh, it's a meme that says, you can have Jesus and a therapist too. Um, And quite a few people had some thoughts on that. So uh, here are some thoughts from my friend Angela. She's uh, in the past received funds from our mental health. She's a good friend and has been part of our church in various ways since um, the previous iteration, Central City Church, launched uh, seven years ago. And in fact, I knew her before that in our time in uh, Athens uh, before we launched Central City. So here's uh, Angela's uh, response to some of the questions. I'm Angela. I have OCD and have been going to therapy for a few years now. Um, therapy's been really helpful for me in learning how to cope and to find ways to still live my values and live a meaningful life despite the OCD symptoms I have on a daily basis. Um, The church helped me a lot with the mental health fund. Um, It was a huge gift and made it more accessible for me to try something like spiritual direction um, and also to get additional therapy outside of my normal therapist. Um, Mental health really matters and is something that we should talk about at church um, because it's a big struggle in your life. Like you wouldn't want to exclude another really important part of your life at church you want to be able to talk about what you're going through no matter what that is and mental health is something that for me has been a major struggle and I've seen God a lot in it and I've also felt far from God in it with my specific symptoms um having some OCD about God like worried that he's mad at me all the time and other things that like it's really important to be able to talk about with people in the church um I've seen those mugs that say you can have Jesus and a therapist too and I used I like them but I also have found them after I've been more in the getting mental health services, I found them a little more strange because we wouldn't say that about any other health thing, you know, like you can have Jesus and a dentist too, or you can have Jesus and a foot specialist too. Like it's the same, you know, like it's not different. Um, It's, it's a legitimate thing. It's not just, oh, you should pray about it and you feel better. Like prayer helps, but it's like you wouldn't say that for those other things. So it's it's important that we keep having discussions and furthering the discussions in the church. And I've definitely seen growth in churches over the last, like, I don't know, since I've been going to church. Um like throughout, even just in our society, to be able to talk about mental health because it really matters. Um, so yeah, I'm also someone. If you ever needed to talk about mental health, I definitely am here for it, and I love that Central City or City View is now. Um, it is has always been doing that. Ooh, ooh, ooh.
the gifts at the baptism were just a couple of books. And um, I, if you've uh, had a child baptized in the past and you didn't get these because this is something new we're doing, love to get you them. Just let me know. So last week we looked at a few uh, mental health uh, tools. And hopefully you got a copy of this. If you didn't, we'd love to get you one. Christy will even bring it to you. Or someone will. Someone who has them will find them and get them for you. They're a little pack of cards. We talked through most of them last week. We're going to talk through the last one today. Um, And uh, it includes a card for breathing. Last week we talked about how it's important to stop and help our bodies slow down to differentiate between actual threats and, and perceived threats. So in other words, it helped us realize that emails are not bears, if you remember that. Um, if you're lost, on that reference is lost on you. I encourage you to check out the podcast. Uh, we also talked about music. And we looked at a story of how David would play music for Saul in 1 Kings and how that helped him with his struggles. We talked about movement, how exercise and walking um, is essential to a healthy mental life. And then finally, we looked at Elijah's story, how he struggled with mental health. We see in his story that he got to a place where he was praying to God, please, don't let me live another day. I don't want to do this anymore. He was almost suicidal. And uh, God used rest and food and quiet space and connection to help him bounce back and continue on. So today we're going to look at the last card we have in the toolkit, which is play. And the card says this. I'm going to pull it up here. Which one is it? It's behind the move card. And it says this. Do something fun, creative, or new. Permission today to do that, if that feels... uh, uh, Todd Hardgrove, who is a movement therapist, explained it like this. He says, experts generally define play as an activity involving intrinsic motivation, exploration, creativity, and freedom from stress and outside control. For me, play is best understood as the rough opposite of work. So in less uh, fancy words, play is something you want to do. Intrinsic motivation means that the motivation comes from within you. You know, you personally enjoy it, which means play is very personal and what you enjoy. Uh, No one's telling you to enjoy it. And it usually involves exploration or creativity, which means you're doing something new or you're doing it in a new way. You're experiencing something that's new. And it's free from stress or force. No one's forcing you to do it. So it's the difference between going golfing because you love to golf and going golfing because... Your spouse loves to golf, right? So for one person in that scenario, it's play. And for the other, it is probably work, um, sacrifice, or love. So those aren't the same thing. So we know that um, doing something fun, creative, or new can be a powerful tool to improve our mental health. I was reminded of my wife recently. She had a meeting scheduled that was going to be particularly difficult, one of those meetings that was happening because of conflict. I don't know if you've ever had to go to a meeting like that. And she knew that it was going to hit her, you know, and it was going to wear out and it was going to be discouraging, maybe triggering. And so she told me, um, she planned this ahead of time. Uh, after that meeting, we were going out to eat. <laughs> and because uh, she knew her mental health was going to take a hit. And, and, and we love to go out to eat. It's something that we enjoy doing. It's fun. We like to try new food, new spots. And so she wanted to plan something fun to help her bounce back. So to help us reflect on this mental health tool, I want to pause and see what Scripture has to say 
about having fun. Well, a few years ago, I was on vacation with, uh, it was just me and Alyssa at the time, and we were, uh, I think, on a cruise or something like that. We were having fun, and, and I, I felt uh, that I wanted to spend some time with God while on vacation, but a lot of my devotions or scripture readings, or even if you've not picked up what I like to think about and pray about and preach on, usually has to do with uh, some kind of call to action. Um, a lot of the devotions are designed to make me a better person and to work on my life and to you know, do more good in the world. And while on vacation, I didn't want to think about those things. I didn't want a devotion to help me be a better person. I wanted a devotion that would help me enjoy myself on vacation. So I asked the question, and I started pondering, is it okay to take time off? And what does it look like to spend time with God without pressure to do more in my faith? Um, and, and, and does God want to be a part of the fun that I'm having? And so this led me on a journey of studying um, Scripture and just unpacking every passage I could find that related to taking time off and having fun. Uh, I was basically trying to develop a theology for vacation. Um, and I ended up putting together a little devotion um, that you can read called Wow on Vacation. And it's designed to be a devotion you read while on vacation. So, um, but it's really this, if it's my, and I wrote this a while ago, it's, it's my attempt to kind of wrestle with scripture passages around what it means to have fun. So if you're curious about the devotion, you can download it for free from the website. Uh, it used to be available on Amazon. I don't even think it is anymore. I mean, this was a while ago. Um, but I wrote it a few years ago, and I, and I haven't read or updated it since, so please take it for what it is. And if you're like, man, I can't believe Joe said that. Well, previous Joe said that, um, not current Joe. Um, but today, some of what I'm going to share was, is, is taken from that devotion. So if you're like, oh, I want to dig into that a little bit more, you can go check it out. So the question is, does God want us to have fun? Now, before you answer, I already know your all's answer because you go here. So your answer is what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know you too well. We're going to pretend like we haven't answered the question yet. Scripture has a lot to say about a lot of different things. And when we think of Scripture, there's a lot of themes, uh, relationships, sin, covenants, evil, good, God, faith, love, peace, kindness. But, but where in the overarching story of the Old and New Testament, these writings that are thousands of years old, does it mention having fun? Now, when we ask the question, does God want us to take time off, that's easy to answer. Yeah, of course God wants us to rest. In fact, we have clear teaching in the Old and New Testament on the importance of rest. God has written into the very fabric of the creation narrative a day where we cease our work, as well as week-long festivals that he gave the Jewish people where they would gather together, relax, eat, and celebrate. So um, uh, we know that we're called to rest. But here's the thing. In our faith, not in our church necessarily, but in our faith, big picture, capital C Church, rest has historically been taken very seriously. In other words, it is not something you play with. When you explore the historic Christian faith and the Hebrew faith, we can encounter many examples of very solemn views of taking time off. It's one of the main conflicts that drive Jesus' story in the Gospels, if you're familiar with that. But one of the surprising examples is just found in American culture. Uh, some of the founders of American society were, of course, uh, Puritans. 
And uh, they played an intricate role in shaping American values. And Puritans valued the Sabbath. But they also saw it as just another day to be very serious, to take very serious time with God. So they would gather on Sunday morning, what they considered the Lord's Day, even though it's Saturday, we'll get into it, as a community, you know, with stern faces, and they'd listen to the preacher go on and on about the importance of work and the vices of idleness. As the famous Puritan saying goes, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Have you heard that saying? That's, Pur that's Puritan. That's Puritan philosophy. They worked so hard at making sure that the day of rest, that your day off was kept serious and what they would consider, in order for it to be holy, it had to be serious, that they developed what was known as blue laws. Has anyone heard of blue laws before? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. Blue laws were where they took these serious Puritan principles that they claimed were Christian, and they adopted them to the wider society, and they were ordinances and laws in villages and towns that told you what you were allowed to do on your day off and what you weren't allowed to do. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. These come from Alice Morse Earle's book, The Sabbath in Puritan New England, and I think these are hilarious. If you do not find this fascinating, you can zone out. But, okay, here's the first one. In the later part of the 17th century, in our wonderful country known as America, a fisherman, these are actual court cases, okay? A fisherman was presented before the court and fined for catching eels on a Sunday. Another person in the same court was fined 20 shillings for sailing a boat on the Lord's Day. Going out, the breeze is just right, the sun is shining, it's your day off, getting in a boat, fined 20 shillings for that. In 1672, lovers, this one is so funny to me. Two lovers, John Lewis and Sarah Chapman. These are court records, so we actually know their names. So John and Sarah were accused of and tried, brought to court for, quote, this is a direct quote from the court documents, sitting together on the Lord's Day under an apple tree. Can you believe it? So in Plymouth, a man was sharply whipped for hunting on a Sunday. Another was fined for carrying corn home on the Lord's Day, and the miller who gave him the, you know, the, the recently ground corn, um, who allowed him to take it, was also fined. Like, you, neither one of you should be exchanging corn on the Lord's Day. So Elizabeth Eddy, the same, uh, in that same town, was fined in 1652, quote, 10 shillings for wringing and hanging out clothes. She's doing laundry. Now, I'm just curious, does anyone do laundry on their day off? <laughs> Is there any other time to do laundry? I mean, <laughs> um, last one. A Plymouth man was drove, uh, who drove a, a yoke of oxen, so he had a couple of oxen tied up, was, quote, presented before the court, as was also another offender who drove some cows a short distance, quote, without need on the Sabbath. Okay. In America, we have this love-hate relationship with, uh, with vacation, with taking time off, with enjoying ourselves. Part of the American values were built on the Puritan 
hard work ethic. It's the whole pull yourself up from the bootstraps. bootstraps. And, and here's the part of it, and this isn't in my notes, but I'm, I, I just want to share it with you. You know, it was partly in response to the, to the absolute wealth and uh, privilege of royalty in England, right? So we didn't like England. And we didn't like the royal family doing nothing but fun stuff. We were hard workers. And so it was, it was kind of a you know, paradigm shift, and we were focused on that. Like, no, any sort of fun or pleasure makes you like them, and we're not going to do that. And that still seeps into our culture. I mean, the number one conversation I hear amongst people who work is how oftentimes, and this is changing, but oftentimes people don't even use all of their vacation days. I won't even ask you if that's anyone here but I don't use all of my vacation days, I don't think. I, haven't, I don't track them very well either. So, that's, you know. so if you're to believe this American value, these Puritans, that God wants us to rest, but you better not enjoy it. Of course, this is not how Jesus sees rest. Um, Jesus was surrounded um, by attitudes very similar around the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders of his time also had very strict laws on what it meant to rest. They told you exactly how long you were able to walk, how far, what duties were okay. You couldn't get a, you know, if your animal fell into a well, you could, into a ditch, you couldn't pull him out because that was considered work. I mean, there was all kinds of laws and Jesus was gonna have none of that. In fact, at one point, Jesus says it like this. He says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. I think, yeah. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath or taking time off is, meant, is, is a gift to us and it's not about meeting the requirements of having a day off. So imagine Jesus shows up to New England, Puritan court, right when the blue laws were being brought before a judge and he's put on the stand as a professional witness, a rabbi, scholar maybe, and he says something like this in defense of the person who's broken that blue law. I mean, I don't even know what the judge would do. He'd probably get himself crucified again. The truth is, we have this love-hate relationship with having fun. Religious people, and this isn't just uh, limited to Christians. Um, religious people tend to think Fun is evil, and being serious is holy. I was reminded of my time in Thailand visiting Buddhist temples, and talk about strict laws. Um, I think I've showed you before, but you can look it up. The rules for entering into a Buddhist temple are much stricter than our sanctuary here. I mean, your shoes are off. Do not kiss each other. Don't hold hands. Women have to have, I think, cover, you know, just a variety of really strict laws because it's the sacred. And so something about a human psyche, it doesn't matter if it's just Christianity or something else, something about us that, like, when we think of holy, we think of serious. But I don't think that's God's vision for the world. I think there needs to be a place for serious reflection and devotion, but there also needs to be a place for holy fun and play. We prayed earlier today um, in the Lord's Prayer, we prayed that God's will would be on earth as it is in heaven that we're in the business of ushering in God's kingdom, the very kingdom of heaven here on earth. And I believe God has given us glimpses of that heaven, glimpses of what it would look like if God's will was done on earth as in heaven. I want to share one such glimpse of heaven with you. It's from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, which means he uh, 
wasn't just somebody who would, he would paint a picture of the future. He would cast a vision of what things should be. He would call out the status quo and tr speak truth to power, say, this is not how the world should be. The world should be like this. And one of his descriptions of how the world should be, that kingdom of heaven here on earth, goes like this. It's Isaiah uh, chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. He says, in that day, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Going to the next one. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Beautiful, prophetic, poetic language that tell us this. Friends, we live in a violent world. We live in a world of survival of the fittest. And it's not just animals, is it? It's not just lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Humans are included in that violence. We know that because we're engaged in violence reduction. We're, this is not, we don't, we're not oblivious to this reality. We live in a world where wolves eat lambs and leopards eat goats and lions eat cows and humans eat all of those things. And bears, you remember how bears are actually dangerous? They will attack you. That's the world we live in. And in this violent world, it's usually the most vulnerable who suffer. I want to pause for a second. My disclaimer is I added this, uh, these remarks this morning, so if they don't come across perfectly or if I mess up, my apologies. But I, I can't talk about, um, it, or this passage has, talks about children playing around danger and not getting hurt. And I can't talk about children and how we live in a dangerous world and also a series on mental health without mentioning this. It's um, what people call ACE, your ACE score. Have anyone familiar with that? Stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, A-C-E, ACE, that's how that works. Adverse Childhood Experiences. Now, I'm not a medical professional or a therapist. I'm a pastor, so take my thoughts as such. But ACE, um, Adverse Childhood Experiences, is a way of thinking about the, the, the adverse experiences that we've had as a child and how they impact our life as an adult. These childhood experiences can include violence, abuse, Growing up in a family with mental health or substance abuse problems, uh, an article from the NPR divides them into these categories. I think I have a slide for this. One is abuse, which can include physical, emotional, or sexual. Neglect, which could be physical or emotional neglect. And then what they call household dysfunction, mental illnesses, an incarcerated relative, mother treated violently, substance abuse. And uh, they include divorce. I want to say toxic divorce. I, I say that because... Um, I believe that there are healthy and good ways for parents to separate that lessen the impact on their children, but there are also really nasty ways to handle divorce, pitting a child against each other and things like that. I first heard of this ACE, this Adverse Childhood Experiences, or what they call it like an ACE score, like if you count up all of the various experiences you've had as a child, that's your ACE score. I heard about this for the first time when I was talking with a friend engaged in um, infant mortality. Uh, some of the work that we were doing around infant mortality at the time, poverty, poverty alleviation. And I guess an ACE score is uh, really tied to all kinds of things like education, employment, health, obesity, and yes, of course, mental health as an adult, especially and specifically depression. Here's a couple of stats. 
61% of adults they have found have at least one ace, one of these on the list. 16% had four or more experiences. Of course, the more adverse childhood experiences you have, the longer and bigger the impact can be. They found that females in several racial or ethnic minorities were at a greater risk for experiencing four or more ACE. Um, what we know is that in a violent world, those who are vulnerable are the ones who are impacted the most. And many people do not realize that exposure to adverse childhood experiences is associated with increased risk for health problems across the lifespan. Here's my point. I'll leave it there. You can, you can look into it. You can talk with your therapist or doctor about that if that's helpful. I'm not an expert. Just a few thoughts. But here's my point. Some of us weren't allowed to be kids. Some of us grew up by the hole of a cobra, by the adder's den, and it was not safe. It was not as Isaiah described it. It was dangerous, and we got bit. And that bite stays with us. Some of us grew up around bears and lions and violence and dysfunction, and it had a lasting impact on how we operate in this world. That is true today, and it was true when Isaiah gave us this vision. Isaiah probably knew people. I mean, he's talking about real animals that he was probably afraid of because he had been around, right? We kind of separate ourselves and put most of our animals in zoos now, so we're safe. But he was probably ex talking about real dangers, and he was imagining having experienced real dangers and real fear of lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. He was imagining a world where they wouldn't attack him. This is why Isaiah paints this impossible picture of an ideal world, a world where kids are not in danger, where kids are not exposed to harm or abuse or addiction, a world where kids can be safe and loved and protected, a world where these violent tendencies in us, the bears and the lions and the cobras in us, have been tamed, and we are safe. Isaiah is imagining a world where things he is afraid of are no longer dangerous. My wife and I uh, bought a house in Franklinton before it was cool, and uh, um, we lived around violence, and I've shared this story before, but I was thinking about it again. And someone asked me why I'm passionate about violence reduction, like when did it become personal? And it, made, it reminded me of this, this experience. We were playing outside, me and Finn. He was a toddler. He wouldn't remember this. And on the other side of our fence, a gun goes off, two gangs shooting at each other. Just on the other side of my fence, a stray bullet could have gone through our rickety old wooden fence. And um, you, you don't want Finn to grow up in a violent neighborhood, do you? You don't want any kid to grow up in a violent neighborhood. None of us do. It's not just about my kid. It's about any kid. We want that picture that Isaiah, where, where the things that could hurt us will no longer hurt us. A, a place where every kid, no matter what their circumstances or what danger they grew up around, can just be kids. A world where kids can play without worry. And that's it. play. Yes, play. Not only does Isaiah paint a picture of a world where there is less violence, but a world where there is more of this. According to Isaiah, I would suggest that as violence and dysfunction and abuse decreases, play increases. Did you see that? A world where there is less violence would produce a world where kids are free to play and could, kids should be free to play. Kids should feel safe and free from harm so they can run around and lean into their imaginations and be creative and explore and have fun. We want that for our kids. We want that for other people's kids. Amen? Something we can all agree on. I've not met somebody who doesn't agree with that. 
But here is the best part. It's like uh, the old Trix commercial. You guys remember Trix? This isn't just for kids. <laughs> later, much later, after Isaiah had come and gone, Jesus is walking the earth, bringing God's kingdom to earth, showing us a better way, and he encounters some kids. And since he lives in this religious world where everyone assumes religion has to be serious and the kids are just in the way, they try to move the kids along. But Jesus invites them to come closer to him, and he says, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, there's a difference between being a, the grown-up adult taking our faith so seriously that we're working hard so that our kids can enjoy themselves and play. That's one way to think about it. But it's different if you choose to become like a kid, choosing to feel so safe as a child of God that we, even as adults, feel comfortable enough to have a little bit of fun. See, this isn't about building God's kingdom for kids. It's about us becoming like kids so we can experience God's kingdom. This isn't about building God's kingdom for kids. It is about us becoming like kids so that when we become like kids, we can experience God's kids. So much so that Jesus says, you can't enter this kingdom without first becoming a kid. Go back to the passage in Isaiah. Do you notice his wording? It, it was very specific. He says, the wolf shall lie dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and lion, and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The adults in the room won't lead the way to this preferred vision God has. A kid will. This is, I think, um, another way of saying that God's kingdom is never fully understood or properly experienced if we insist on seeing it through the lens of an adult because adults have too much baggage. Adults can't imagine the world any different than the way it already is. So we have to take off our lens, lens that have been scratched and broken, distorted by adverse childhood experiences or abuse or anger or disappointment or lost love. And we have to put on new lenses, the lens of a child who has never known hatred or abuse or loss and start seeing the world through their eyes. Only then can we begin to see the world we're trying to usher in. Only then will we see the beautiful innocence of God's kingdom of love. I, I hope that you'll hear Hear me that if you're hurting, if you've felt betrayed, if you've been abused, if you're struggling with your mental health, if you've been cast aside, I want you to know that I am sorry. I know that it hurts, and I am sincerely sorry. And I hope that you will believe me when I say this. That is not what God wants for you. God didn't want that for you. The simple truth is that the world is not as it should be. And when we're ready, we find enough healing and we do something, we can do something about it. God wants you to partner with God to make a difference, to change the world, to make it a little bit better for the next generation, because it's only when we work through our stuff and our trauma that we avoid passing that trauma on to the next generation. In other words, do you remember the vision Isaiah had of a kingdom where kids can play, free to play, no longer filled with the fear or the worries of getting hurt? That vision isn't just for kids, it's for all of us. That's the world we're working towards, and it's my prayer for you, especially if you've had some negative experiences. My prayer is that you might find the healing you need, the community of love you deserve, so you can see the world through that vision of you, through that version of you that's allowed to enjoy life and have fun. I mean, 
here's the thing. If a little kid is going to lead us into God's preferred future, do you think it will be anything other than something that involves play? Have you met a child? So hear me when I say this. You already know this, but now we've spent some time reflecting on it theologically. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to do something you enjoy. You don't have to feel guilty about it or bad about it. There's no shame. God wants you to enjoy yourself. So I hope you can find something you enjoy and you do it with all of the love and grace of God at your back pushing you along. God loves you. God wants you to feel safe and accepted. God wants you to enjoy this life and the life to come. So I believe that uh, uh, the, the band could come and get ready for the next song because we're going to, I hear we got a, some special stuff planned. But um, play, I think, is there's a great, a lot of great tools here in this mental health toolkit. It's very small. You can keep it with you. But play is a valuable tool in your mental health toolkit. And if you're struggling right now, I encourage you to take some time to do something you enjoy. And as you do it, remind yourself that God's love for you, um, that God loves you and that God is happy uh, with you enjoying yourself. So with that, will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks. We trust that you love us. Help us to enter into your kingdom as children who are loved and, 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 and who are safe in your arms. We give you thanks in your name. Amen.